And when you read the New Testament, as you read through the New Testament, have you ever wondered what it's like, what it would be like to be there? Have you ever kind of put yourself there and said, I wonder what it would have been like to hear Jesus of Nazareth speak or to listen to his teaching or to see the things that he did, uh, to witness the alternating adulation and hatred of him and, and wonder if you would have the courage to stand with him when he was unpopular and hated. Have you ever imagined being there and Jesus looking at you and saying, what do you want me to do for you? You might say, I don't know if Jesus would say something like that, but in fact, the gospel accounts record two such instances in which Jesus asked people that very question. What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer him? If you could change something right now, right? If you could change something in this world right now, I'm shy of saying, you know, come back now, but you could change something right now, what would it be? If you could, if you could ask him to change something what would it be? The answer that you give to that question will be telling as to how well you understand who Jesus is and how well you understand yourself. Last week we looked at Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the help of his disciples. 5,000 men were told so I'm going to pick up and read from John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It's right after that event. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And Father, we pray today that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts by your Holy Spirit to hear your word, that, Lord, it would do its work within us, that its roots would grow deeply in us and we would bear fruit upward to you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Jesus is Lord on his terms, not on ours. If I had to sum up the teaching of John chapter 6, that would be it. Jesus is Lord on his terms, not on yours and not on mine. He's Lord on his terms. Now, as the chapter progresses, that's going to become more and more evident, but it's evident right here at the start. Jesus is Lord. You can't make him Lord. Many people try. You know, sometimes we're exhorted to do that, right? Have you heard people say that? Well, you should make Jesus Lord. You should make Jesus Lord of your life. Make Jesus Lord. And I think I know what they're trying to say when they say that, but I don't know if it's helpful. 
it really is the stuff of the American church and particularly the modern evangelical church. And it's why whatever the outward trappings of any church may be, why true spirituality and true concern for the kingdom of God throughout the, the whole land are at a low ebb. The people who try to make Jesus Lord recognize that there's something indeed that's special about him, and the people here did. After they saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. He's the prophet who has come into the world. Now, what they're referring to is something that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18, where God said to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command you. And there was a general understanding uh, in the first century at this time among the Jews that this prophet was the Messiah. He was the son of David who was to come, the one who was like Moses. And in fact, we find out as we read the rest of the New Testament that they were correct in thinking that. And so they see Jesus do these things. They say, surely this is the prophet coming into the world. And they recognize him as a viable candidate for the Messiah. But I think that's how they recognized him as a viable candidate. You have to understand that at this time, there were many people who arose claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be someone. They draw followers after themselves. Jesus looked like a viable candidate for that position. And so they intended to come and make him king, to make him Lord by force. You know, you think about that here. We're told that there were 5,000 men who were there. Specifically says men. There are probably women and children too, but 5,000 men. And can you imagine what most people would do if all of a sudden you were surrounded by 5,000 men who said, we're ready to follow you. And we want you to be king. And what could they accomplish? Boy, it seems like it's all Jesus would have to do is speak the word. The problem is found in the words they wanted to make him king. We read in Matthew's gospel at Christmas time that the, that the Magi came from the east and they had a question. They said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. In other words, they didn't come to make him king. They recognized that he was king, and they came to honor him such. They didn't come to make him king. They came to honor him as king, to recognize him as king. And the intention of the crowd here to make him king is telling. You know, worldly leaders, political leaders, they have more or less integrity, but none of them have total integrity. 
because they depend to a greater or lesser degree, depending on what the government uh, of the nation is like, they depend to a greater or lesser degree on the, on the goodwill of the people to retain their power, to retain their authority, to retain their office, at least some group of people. You know, you would have to be blind, you'd have to be blind not to notice that Democrats in Congress look very different than Democrats in Congress 15 years ago. And you'd have to be blind not to notice that Republicans in Congress today look very different than Republicans 15 years. It's not because there's a new crop of them. Some of them have been there for decades. And yet sometimes when you compare the video from some of them 15 years ago with what they say today, they look like it must be a different person with the same face and voice because the things that they say are so radically different. And, and there's an incestuous pandering that takes place in which politicians rile up the worst instincts of their supporters and then must play to them in order to retain their support. It's why in the end all nations, all governments, no matter how well they start, always destroy themselves in the end. But Jesus doesn't need followers to make him king. He is king. And nothing that you or I do will ever change that. Follow him or not, he is king. Support him or not, nothing in all the universe will change that fact. And we'll see at the end of chapter 6 that Jesus will not sell himself for popularity. He's willing for absolutely everyone to walk away from him. He does not care. He has no need to. Worldly leaders are harmed or helped by the support that's given them or withheld from them. Jesus is not. You cannot make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. The question for you and for me is do we accept him as such? Do we bow to him as Lord, or do we, as these people here, try to press him into our agendas and so make him Lord? Now, you know, it's telling that when they do that to Jesus, what he does is withdraw from them. I have a suspicion that the reason for the spiritual state, whatever its outward trappings are today, the reason for the spiritual state of the American evangelical church is that Jesus has withdrawn from them because they're trying to make him Lord. And it's the uh, reason for and the result of the frantic impotence of churches today as they try to retain their cultural dominance or stay relevant. Jesus must be received for who he is or not at all. It's not so with worldly leaders. 
They're received only for who people want them to be. Their power comes from popularity. You know, in 2012, there was a certain U.S. senator who ran for president. I spoke with a couple that was supporting him at the time. They told me that he was the most principled politician in Washington, D.C. In fact, to hear them speak, you know, uh, he had nothing on George Washington. He was the most principled man who ever lived. Eight years later, the same man was a political hack who never had an ounce of integrity in his life. Wow, how did that happen? Well, because he voted in a way that they didn't like and didn't want him to vote. An acceptance of worldly leaders is based upon whether he's doing or she's doing what I want them to do. That's what these people were hoping to achieve by making Jesus king. And everyone who seeks to make Jesus Lord or make Jesus King is hoping for the same. Timothy Keller has pointed out that if Jesus never convicts you of your sin, never says things that upset or anger you, never says things that frighten you if you were to actually do them, never demands of you that you change the way you think or the things you do, you're worshiping a Jesus of your own imagination. And much of American Christianity is worshiping a Jesus of its own imagination, a Jesus who is tame and safe for them. A Jesus who does what they want him to do. I could cite instances, almost without number, of such a Jesus of the Democrats. But there's not much danger that any of you would fall prey to that Jesus. The danger that threatens you is worth worshiping the Jesus of the Republicans. You know, whatever else the Pharisees and Sadducees were, they were political parties. The Sadducees were clandestinely comfortable with Roman rule. They benefited from it. It couldn't be openly so because, well, that would uh, cut into the goodwill of the people toward them. The Pharisees carefully opposed Roman rule. Philosophically, they were in line with the Zealots, but but they didn't want to be on the outskirts of society like the Zealots. Whose side was Jesus on? Times he seemed to be on the side of the Pharisees. Jesus affirmed the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But Jesus affirmed it, so I guess he's on the side of the Pharisees. Well, hold on. Times he seemed to be on the side of the Sadducees. Jesus affirmed the divine authority of the scriptures alone. Rejected, we see in Matthew 5, rejected the oral tradition or oral Torah, as the Pharisees called it, as being God's word, as being authoritative. So, well, now he appears to be aligned with the Sadducees. The truth is, Jesus is on the side of neither the Pharisees nor the Sadducees, but at times they may appear coincidentally to be on his. 
a telling account in Joshua chapter 5, back in the Old Testament. The armies of Israel are standing outside of the city of Jericho. And, and Joshua gets sight of a man there standing there with a sword. Um, theologians, biblical scholars debate who this figure is. Is he uh, an angel of the Lord? Is he a theophany of Christ, the Son of God, before his incarnation? And I don't know the answer to that in definitive term, but I'll tell you, the interchange is interesting. That that Joshua sees this man, doesn't know who he is, standing there with a sword. He goes up to him and he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Do you, do you know or do you remember the answer that he gave? He said, neither. But as the captain of the Lord's army, I have now come. Let me ask you again, are you among those who receive Jesus as Lord or among those who try to make him Lord? There may be times that some of the concerns of the Democratic political party coincidentally align with some of the teaching of Jesus. There may be times that some of the concerns of the Republican political party coincidentally align with the teaching of Jesus. Do not make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is on either of their sides, nor that either of them are on the side of Jesus. We don't always know our hearts very well. There's an easy test in that regard as to whether we're making Jesus Lord to serve an agenda, particularly when it comes to political things. It's a good thing for you to ask yourself in the, in the quiet reflection this afternoon. If you defend everything a particular political party does, regardless of what it is, and you decry everything that the other political party does, regardless of what it is, you're seeking something first other than the kingdom of God. Today there is a rampant idolatry in the American evangelical church. It's a bargain that says to politicians, if you will stand with us on this issue, we will compromise with you on that one. We will look the other way on that one. And the real Jesus will have none of it. You know, James reminded us that the danger is real. He wrote, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We think somehow that uh, we can co-opt at least some little segment of the world to be on our side, to be a friend of grace, to help us to God. But the Bible tells us otherwise. What do you want me to do for you? Let me return to that question. What do you think you need most? Short of the Lord's return, if Jesus were to ask you that, what do you want me to do for you? What, what do you think you would say? 
what needs to change. The Gospels record two instances when Jesus asked that question. And in one case in Mark chapter 10, they're back to back. He asked it the first time to his disciples, James and John. And their answer was, grant us to sit at your right hand and your left when you come into your glory. In other words, their desire was for position and power. You know, we've been oppressed, we've been trampled down, and what we need is position and power. Was a desire that their circumstances be changed, and it did not receive a favorable response from Jesus. The other is recorded a few verses later to a blind man. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. His request was not that his situation be changed. His request was that he be changed. And that did receive a favorable response from Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? If your answer is about changing the situation, you want to make him Lord. If your answer is, Lord, I want to be changed, you bow to him as Lord. The only answer to that question that receives a favorable response from Jesus is, Lord, I want to see. Open my eyes to my idolatry, to my compromise, to my hope in princes, and help me really to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Because Jesus didn't come to vindicate you in your self-righteousness and change others. He came primarily to change you. You can't make Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he's Lord on his terms, not on ours. Father, grant to us hearts that would truly seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. That, Father, we would uh, not dally with the trinkets of the world, but that we would know that our citizenship is in heaven, that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, even when it seems inexpedient to do so, believing your promise that you will add to us all that we need. And Father, as you do that in our hearts, may you use us to change the hearts of people that you might redeem and gather together a people for yourself. Christ.